Coming up on today's show, The Last of Us is getting a TV show, cyberpunk discs are in the wild, and Jeff Kanata is here. What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the What's Good Games podcast, live at twitch.tv slash what's good games, your source for video game news, commentary, analysis, and funny stuff every Friday and Monday. Yeah. I'm Andrea Renee, joined by Miss Brittany Brownbacher. Hello. And as you can see, special guest Jeff Kanata is here. Hey! Yay! What's good, Jeff? Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm a big fan, big fan, big fan. Big well, fan. we are excited that you are here. We have been teasing this because we mentioned on the show that all three of us have guested on your show that you co-host with Christian Spicer, DLC. Yeah. But we hadn't gotten either of you on What's Good Games yet. And I was like, let's fix that. Yeah, no, it's exciting. I, you guys have been awesome on my show and I'm so grateful for it. So yeah, I've been I've been excited to, to, to join the, the craziness that is What's Good. Yeah. Mondays are a well, little more we- chill. Yeah. Than our yeah. Wednesday show, but you know, it's okay. It's true. Well, sometimes sometimes it can be really wild if there's like breaking news or things like that because doing the show live has a little bit of a different je ne sais quoi mm. um, than the recorded podcast does. I really do. But love you it when guys you say record, that. you know, what's interesting. I was mentioning to Britt and, and uh, Steimer when we were recording, it was like, I forgot how fun it is to do live podcasts because we haven't done our Wednesday show live. For a really long time, there was a very small period where we were doing a couple episodes live for Patreon, mm-hmm. and then we were like, the production of it was just too difficult. But you guys do it every single week. Yeah, yeah, we do. I mean, we only do audio, so that's it, it makes it a little easier when you don't have to do video because, you know, there's just a lot of things to get right when video's in the mix. But uh, it's a blast. It's great to have the input of people live chiming in and tell you all the things that you got wrong and correcting you. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> No, it actually is super helpful, you know? It's great. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm with you. It is good to get those kind of corrections on the fly because sometimes they can definitely happen, like how I made the mistake about the time difference in Assassin's Creed Odyssey and oh. Assassin's Creed Valhalla's years because I literally just read it wrong yeah. from between BCE and AD. And then I got well actually on Twitter and I was like, <laughs> it was a mistake. I'm sorry, I read it wrong. You are correct. There was actually way more years between those games, games yeah. than anticipated. But my point was, they're both set in times where human culture was very different than it is today. Right. That's fair. yeah. No, that's the best Anywho. about. Uh, it's the best thing about correcting it live is is that it saves a lot of emails and tweets. <laughs> it's always <laughs> it's always worse to get the correction as an email or a tweet, and you're like, I can't go back in time. Not my like favorite is when people respond to old videos we've done like I'm talking like a year and a half ago and they yeah. go through and somehow they find it and then they like leave remarks like well actually what ended up happening was this that and the other and it's like well no shit Sherlock you're an, <laughs> you're a year and a half in the future we didn't know what the fuck was happening at the time that's my yeah. favorite is when they try to well actually go in videos and it's like my favorite is when they send you the tweet in the moment that they're hearing it and then you correct it two minutes later and yeah. but they already tweeted it and they're like, you said that they're not. It's like, wait for it, wait for it. And then the tweet comes in of, oh, sorry, heard you fixed. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ah. yeah, that's happened. Um, but we're here, of course, to talk about video games. We're going to be chatting with Jeff about his awesome D&D show, The Dungeon Run, in just a little bit and some of the other projects that he's working on. But I want to thank everybody for being here and joining us live. Don't forget, you can participate in the show by writing in your questions for Jeff or us or about the news stories that we talk about today to whatsgoodgames.com slash DRWGG. You're also welcome to put them in the chat as well, and we will try to keep tabs on them as they scroll by and if you guys want to take your involvement in the show one step further of course you can go to patreon.com slash what's good games we just did our patreon exclusive streams over the weekend and brit we answered some really fun questions we started out the stream talking about food as per usual as usual that's usually how these streams go usually starts out with food then it devolves into some like actual real life advice when it comes to relationships and some shit but the thing i keep thinking about was our after hours stream when we were playing well you ladies were playing fuser and it was so great because simon unlocked the stuttering feature on a track 
and she didn't know how to shut it off or she did she thought she had shut it off and so for like a good like five to ten seconds her track was stuttering and it was the most obnoxious amazing thing ever i'm gonna have to clip it and share on the social channels you yeah, it was like a record stuff. skipping over and over again. And I'm like, yeah. why did they build this feature into this game? Nobody no. wants this. <laughs> oh, no. oh, but we did talk about our favorite uh, Pop-Tart flavors. Jeff, do you have a favorite oh, yeah. Pop-Tart flavor? It's an important question. Oh, I haven't had a Pop-Tart in a long time, but I feel like I want to go with strawberry. Okay. That was the number one yeah. pick yeah. of everybody in the chat. Yeah. I don't, you know, chocolate is, is a little extreme, right? It feels like that's just not breakfast. I don't know. I mean, I like a chocolate yeah. donut for breakfast, I guess. But strawberry feels I went like brown you know, sugar, cinnamon. cinnamon oh, yeah. brown that's sugar? good. That's brown real sugar, good. Cinnamon. That's my favorite. Yeah, that's real good. God, I think it's been maybe 10 years since I've had a Pop-Tart. Oh, wow. Yeah, That's way too long. You live once. Why are you doing this to yourself? <laughs> yeah, Jeff, you live once, man. You got, you got to go for it. Go for the that's Pop-Tarts. That's true. That's a good yeah. point. I gotta go, oh, you guys. I'll see you guys I later. Now I want pop tarts. I guess I know what I'm getting when I pick up the rest of my Thanksgiving supplies. Pop tarts for Nothing everybody. Nothing says Thanksgiving like pop tarts. Like pop tarts. <laughs> Listen, That's you gotta brilliant. have a little something in the morning to tide you over until the <laughs> yeah. afternoon. It's a family um, tradition, but, you know. We start with the pop tart, and then you know nothing until stuffing and gravy later. <laughs> Into it. Wouldn't be a terrible tradition to get going. But if you guys missed the streams and you want to watch them and you are part of our Patreon community, you can find the archives at patreon.com slash what's good games. And as predicted, <laughs> it got flagged on YouTube because Fuser. Um, but still a lot of fun to watch. Um, so without further ado, let's go ahead and get into the news. The first story, and don't worry, we won't be talking about any spoilers, is all about Cyberpunk 2077. It's not really a story because we didn't want to cover what the leaks were, but as to be expected ahead of a major game launch, physical copies are showing up in the wild, and somebody even started streaming the game before it was taken down on Twitch. According to Reset Era, streamers have broadcast around 20 minutes of the game's Nomad Life Path from the very beginning of the PS4 version of the game, which of course has now been taken down. It's confirmed that unpatched copies of the game are beginning to make their way into players' hands. So I feel like this is inevitable, uh, right? Yeah. It's just one of those things that happen. Sometimes they get – I'm assuming these are all physical copies, obviously, right, that are leaking. Leaking. They're going to the big yes. distributors, right? And then people are like, yeah, oh, Yeah, they're physical PS4 copies. Yeah. yeah. I have to say, though, I'm not too concerned about these leaks right now anyway because this game is so player choice driven that even if someone were to spoil and be like oh my god xyz dies it's like okay well is that because that was your playthrough is that the choices you made but regardless it's not as bad as the tlu 2 spoilers where i feel like that that was just nasty and spoiling anything in any regard sucks but at least this one i feel like there's not as much on the line it's interesting because California Cated is writing, why do that? What do you gain from spoiling this for you others? Get nothing. And I say, people just like to watch the world burn. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But also, it's a little bit different in the sense that with Last of Us Part Two, there are known characters, there are known situations. The big question mm -hmm. is what happens. With Cyberpunk, we don't really have any context. We know that there's this Keanu Reeves dude, and he does, <laughs> does some stuff. But other than that, like I don't even have any context for what would be a spoiler. I mean, I don't really right. want to see late game stuff. I don't want to see, I don't want to see anything. I'm just ready to play it. But I also don't know any of the characters yet, really. I mean, I haven't been paying attention to all of the pre-release stuff. So maybe people do know some more characters than I do. But ultimately, I'm not, you know, if they said, oh, you know, Big Cat dies. I'm like, I don't know who Big Cat is. Who's Big Cat? You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I know that's that's definitely fair. I think a lot of it is also just us having FOMO. I had tweeted yeah. that last week after some <laughs> of the press previews came out and we were sadly excluded from those previews. I was like, the producer in me got instantly sad, sure. hence the FOMO. But the gamer in me is kind of excited because this is the first time in a long time that I'm going into a massive AAA game having played zero minutes of the game ahead of launch. Yeah. And that just... I just don't get that experience anymore. And, and Jeff, I'm sure it's the same for you. It is, yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, obviously, I saw, I think probably you did too, last E3, they showed us, what, an hour of, of the game. And, and so there's some context in the sense that I'm not going in completely blind, but I, I have 
it's going to be a discovery. And I think that's really, really exciting. And it's a game I'm really looking forward to. I think it's going to live up to the hype. I really do. Yeah. I mean, I played four. I think my preview was four hours of it. But even then, like, I was concentrating so much on just, you know, going from point A to point B and completing all of the main missions, beelining them, that I didn't get to do any of the fun side stuff. So that's like, even though I've already played four hours of it, I feel like I need to start all over again, right? And so, yeah, I'm really excited. Just actually, like, deviate from the path from the path and go explore the side stuff. Go explore the city. Go talk to random NPCs. Pick up side quests. Yeah. Oh, I just want it right now. Right now. Right now. Yeah. Soon, everybody. <laughs> Soon. Soon. It's enough. going oh, to happen. I'm just getting breaking news. Uh, Cyberpunk has been delayed again. Oh, fuck. Oh, <laughs> no. Don't you do that, Kanata. Don't you do it. Because it's believable. Don't do yeah. it. It's terrible. It would be funny if I mean, were... at this point, I think everybody would take the broken discs that are available <laughs> instead of waiting for the patch. They'd I be like, I don't say, care if it's broken. It just would give be it to funny. It would be funny if the, there are oh, physical no. copies in the world and then it also still got delayed. You know, it'd be funny, but. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 it's 2020. Anything could happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, yeah. the year of horrors is not done yet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, let's move on, shall we, to some more exciting news instead of the idea of potentially another s cyberpunk delay. <laughs> uh, Brittany, will you tell us about what's happening with this TV series with The Last of Us? Oh, yes, I will. Okay, so The Last of Us gets series order from HBO. This comes from IGN. So HBO has officially ordered a series based on the Last of Us video game franchise. HBO Executive Vice President of Programming Francesca Ori announced Friday. I don't know why I did that weird hand thing. It's a thing. Okay. Though a series based on the Last of Us had been in discussion for some time now, Friday's announcement reconfirms HBO's intent on the show and attaches a few key names to the project. Writing the series are the Last of Us creative director Neil Druckmann and Chernobyl writer Craig Mazin. Druckmann will also be executive producing the series alongside Cheryl Strauss, and Game of Thrones, as well as Naughty Dog president Evan Wells and PlayStation Productions Azad Kizilbash and Carter Swan. HBO is partnering, partnering with Sony Pictures Television on the series, with PlayStation Productions, Word Games, and Naughty Dog all co-producing. According to HBO's announcement, the series will focus on the events of the original Last of Us game, which sees Joel and Ellie smuggling themselves out of an oppressive quarantine zone and traveling across a post-apocalyptic United States. Last we heard, Mazin, a self-described Last of Us fan, assured fans in a BBC interview that he hopes to, quote, expand upon the series rather than undo any part of it, including Ellie's sexual orientation. Quote, our goal is not to keep you in love with The Last of Us, but to make you fall in love with it again in a different way. It's a passive way of taking it in instead of playing it, but you'll be experiencing more with more characters in more ways. I think we've got something good going. I mean, all the right Ooh. people are involved with this. Really? Yeah. Ooh. Could it be good? Ooh. Oh, I, I think it's going to be good. I think yeah. like the tough part, whenever you get a video game adaptation, especially one with characters that are so narratively beloved as The Last of Us, is are they going to be portrayed the way that fans are going to want. And the ultimate question or the answer is probably no, because fans are impossible to please. Um, but I trust that HBO is going to do it, do a good job. Has there ever been, you guys can correct me if I'm not, I'm not remembering one, but has there ever been a video game property that has been brought to movies or television where the story from the game is what they did? I think this might be the first time because you know, Tomb Raider, they invented a new story to tell. Sonic oh, the Hedgehog. No, the, like new, the Tomb Raider reboot movie followed the reboot video game pretty closely. Did it? Yeah. I remember there the were reboot, some key one. pivotal points in that game, mm -hmm. in that movie. I was like, oh, that's from the movie. That's from the game. But I don't remember if the whole shebang was, was the same. I don't, think, I don't think any movie has ever been like shot for shot, but... I feel well, like I don't think this the will new either. Tomb Raider reboot movie and video game were probably the closest. Yeah, I think yeah. it's probably a good a good pull, but I, I I find it interesting because this is the first time that I go, well, I played that story. I know that story. You know, and, and yeah, I yeah. knew the Game of Thrones story because I read the books, but that was exciting because all the stuff that had only appeared in my imagination was now gonna be in my in a visual form for the first time. And that's not really the case with a video game, right? It's already in a visual form. We already have actors portraying these parts. We already have a, a vision of what this world looked like. So I don't know. I, 
as much as I love the idea of this and I think they're gonna do a great job and if it's great, I will watch it. There's a part of me that goes, I don't know what's additive here. I don't, uh, we have these games that are very, uh, that are very um, photorealistic already. So am I just trying to see, I'm just seeing a different version of something I've already seen? I don't know, what do you that's, guys think? That's kind I, of what I it I think that like. it's exciting because as we all know, video game development is incredibly difficult. It takes an incredibly long time and live action can move quicker because of just the way that the differences between using actors and using animation. And obviously you have to imagine The Last of Us is going to have CG of it in it of some kind, but after watching all of the behind the scenes with how good HBO got with CG from Game of Thrones, um, I believe that they can definitely do it much quicker than a video game studio can do. And I think that that to me is the exciting part is that we could get more stories in The Last of Us universe but not have to wait another five to seven years to see them. Well, I yeah. hope that they I'm, do that, but it sounds like they're just doing the first game story, right? I don't know. Right. I'm, ass I'm assuming they're going to follow, obviously, like, the main story beats, right? But then sprinkled along into that, kind of like what Andrew was saying, you're going to get a bunch mm. of new, probably some new characters, maybe some new side stories, maybe some expansion on the lore of what happened, how the, all the shit went down, et cetera, et cetera. That's kind of my guess of what they're going to be doing with it. Because, again, mm. to re repeat what the um, Mazin said, it's a passive way of taking it in instead of playing it, but you'll be experiencing more with more characters in more ways. Mm. Yeah, I, mean, I think about something like The Walking Dead, which obviously gets a lot of comparisons to The Last of Us and how we've seen that origin story a couple of times across a couple of different mediums, but that the TV series on AMC was able to like expand yeah. what that universe had done. And I'm hoping that HBO is going to take sort of the same approach where they obviously keep core elements the same because audiences want that, but then they explore additional things, which just sounds like they're going to do. Yeah. Sounds we'll good. See. All right. Well, let's move on to our next story. Um, this one is kind of an interesting one. And normally you guys know that we don't do a lot of coverage on MOBAs and Dota specifically. But Valve developers have lost their band power after a Dota 2 disagreement. So this write-up comes from Polygon. Player Miniwan John Doe posted on the Dota 2 subreddit via Dot Esports complaining that he had been sent to the game's low priority mode for an in-game disagreement, which serves as a temporary matchmaking ban. The poster and the Valve employee, Firewatch co-creator Sean Vanneman, were arguing about whether to rally around an objective or fall back and let it go. During the argument, Miniwan John Doe said that Vanneman got tired of the argument and asked, do you know who you're talking to? Check my profile. I'm a Steam employee. <laughs> Vanneman himself then responded to uh, Miniwan John Doe's post writing, The team looked into this case and concluded the user clearly did not deserve the ban. Even, the user, even if the user did deserve a ban, however, we all think it's clear that manually banning users is not a good idea because of how hard it is to be objective in Dota games that you are in. My mistake in this case being a sterling example. As employees, we should have no special, no special privilege when playing Dota. That has been the team's informal policy in the past, but it has clearly failed in this case. It won't remain informal going forward. Manual bans like this won't be allowed anymore altogether. And sincere apologies to user Mini Wanjon Doe. Valve <laughs> employees won't be able to use their authority to hand out manual bans anymore, which certainly seems like a win. <laughs> I'm sorry. What? Also, can we just give Wan John Doe? Can we just yeah 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 massive props to Mini Wan John Doe. That's a pretty great uh, pretty great username. <laughs> I love that they got an argument whether to rally around an objective or fall back and let it go to the point where he felt the need to be like, do you know who I am? Like, what the heck? Well, oh, man, I mean, it can get heated. Yeah. If you're in a MOBA match that's been going on for like 45 care. plus minutes and you, you're on the struggle bus and you're not syncing with your teammates. Uh, I mean, Jeff knows. Jeff, you put... Do you even want yeah. to admit how many hours you put into hots? No, I do not want to admit. It's it's more than I'd like more than I'd like to admit to myself. Um, but yeah, I, I will say I, I think you know I think both of you know me well enough to know that I like to make the world a better place. I like to be kind to people. I really really believe that that's the key to us all surviving on this planet together. But when I was playing Hots real heavy, I got to admit, there were times when I was 
typing for you moron and uh i'm not proud of some of the things that i said uh to people on my team because you get into these things and then you're you are absolutely at the mercy of your team and if you're like me who really was caring about my rank and wanting to rank up and and playing ranked matches and really living and dying on that win-loss record all, uh, you start having skin in the game and you start feeling passionate about it. And I would never condone something like this. And I th it's a, it's good that they, I think, walked it back and realized that it's a bad idea. But I will say, much to my shame, if I had the power <laughs> to ban some people when I was playing Tears of the Storm pretty heavily, I would have done it. I would have oh, no. done it in a second if I, and I'm not proud of that. I'm not proud of it, but I would have. <laughs> there were matches where I was like, "That person is such. It's such a. They do not deserve to play this anymore." Ban. That's what I would have done. I would. Oh shit. I know. I'm sorry. I'm not proud of it. Uh, don't don't be sorry. No. I know that feeling as someone who put over uh, 800 hours into uh, Paragon, another uh. MOBA. Um, <laughs> I feel I feel you there. There were a couple of people asking, "What is Dota 2? What is Hot?" So as Jeff mentioned, Hot is Heroes yeah. of the Storm. Blizzard's multiplayer online battle arena game, Dota 2 being Valve's. Um, Dota 2 most famously known for their worldwide championship called the International, where they, you know, community pool like these crazy purses for prize winners every year. And MOBA is in general just being a very highly competitive type of <laughs> PvP game. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. I also love though how he responded himself. How <laughs> he wrote this statement, yeah. which is hilarious. I mean, he probably knew afterwards, after he calmed down, that he abused his privilege as a uh, dev. Yeah. Like, do you know who I am? And then banning somebody? Come on. I respect that, though. I respect the the ability to to come down out of that heightened yes. state and go, oh, I behaved in a way that's not acceptable. I can't do that. Uh, I mean, yeah. you shouldn't have done it in the first place, but it's nice to see that there was some self-reflection there. Exactly. Oh, boy. Um, Britt, it looks huh? like we have an update from that Capcom leak that we talked about last week on the show. We do. So last, late last week, we got a few new uh, leaks about this huge ransom leak, which is just crazy. Okay, so here we go. From our friends at IGN, massive Capcom leaks reveal Dragon's Dogma 2. Somewhere a wout is losing his fucking mind. Street Fighter 6 and potentially more via IGN. So earlier last week, Capcom confirmed it was the victim of a, quote, customized ransomware attack that led to unauthorized access to its network. Subsequently, materials from those leaks have been released in onto the internet. While unable to verify them all, sources close to Capcom have told IGN that many are genuine. As more information from the leaked data packages continue to tri trickle out, Capcom's alleged game development plans for the next four years appear to have made their way online. So here is the new updated list. Resident Evil Outbreak, Q4 fiscal year 2021 dragon's dogma 2 q2 22 i'm just gonna say the years street fighter 6 q3 22 rockman aka mega man in north america match q3 22 resident evil 4 remake q4 22 monster hunter 6 q2 23 biohazard apocalypse q3 23 ssf6 q4 23 Final Fight Remake, Q2, 24. Power Stone Remake, Q3, 24. Ultra SF6, Q4, 24. And Resident Evil Hank, which is likely Hunk, Q4, 24. I, I was like, Hank. That? I was like, I like Hank, dang. I like it says likely Hunk, like that clears it up. Like, oh, well, if it's likely Hunk, then that makes well, sense. It kind, of, it kind of does, actually. Okay, so Hunk, for all of my... Jeff, are you a Resident Evil fan? Yes, not a super, super huge Resident Evil fan, but okay. yeah, I, I dig this. Yeah, so it doesn't like clear up everything, but it's like, okay, I wish it would have been Hank because then that reminds me of King of the Hill. And then like, what are we getting? <laughs> like a suburban Resident Evil like spinoff. What's, I mean, that would have been fantastic. Okay, so yeah, like out of all of these, obviously one of those I think is the Biohazard Apocalypse, which was the rumored Resident Evil Battle Royale-esque type of game that Mario and I were kind of spitballing about. Was that last Monday? Yeah, I think that was it last was. Wow, what a sign. Um, so this one, Resident Evil Hank, aka, which we're assuming is Hunk. So he is the umbrella security. He's like a security service guy. And we don't really know much about him, like as who he is as a person. But he was in the head of the alpha team that went in in Resident Evil 2 to get the G sample from William Birkin. If you played the Resident Evil 2 remake or even like seen 
scenes from the older game. You know what I'm talking about. It's the found footage from the camcorder where they go in there and shit happens. Anywho, and so he's also the main star of Fourth Survivor, which is that minigame in RE2 where you play as Hunk and you're escaping the... Um, you're escaping Raccoon City with a sample of the G-Virus to try to get it to Umbrella. So it would be interesting to see, like, of course, it's just a code game. Who knows what this could mean? But it would be kind of fascinating to see if they're expanding on what Hank, I almost called him Hank, who Hunk is and, like, what his role has been. Because he's always kind of been the fan favorite of the series, despite his very limited role. And he does make appearances in other game. Anywho, like, you could go anywhere with this. But hmm. that's my thought interesting yeah and maybe it follows him leading alpha team into the lab maybe it follows like him an in-depth story leaving raccoon city maybe it shows what happens to him after he leaves raccoon city in more depth who could say do we think that's resident evil 9 no i mean i can't imagine a world where resident evil would make a standalone title like a numbered standalone title featuring hunk i don't think he's that popular but I could see like a fun little like side story or maybe even like a little DLC expansion to maybe another Resident like Evil game. Like a Code Veronica kind of thing? No, uh, because Code Veronica is also a pretty much a standalone featuring series veterans. So I would then imagine. I'm out, then I'm out of like pulling the random Resident Evil. I know. I Girl, know trust me. Head. Like you're turning me on. It's a good thing you can't see me from the waist down because like I love this Resident <laughs> Evil knowledge you're spinning right now. I really do. I'm like, oh, that's my girl. But like if my my thought would probably be more likely if it's like a Resident Evil remake of this game or maybe a new resident evil and then it's like a side story in a dlc fashion but who could say i mean 2024 it could just be a code name for nine you know who knows because it it seems like time wise you would feel like it would need another numbered sequel in you know four years from now three years from now yeah, it could just be a codename, and maybe Hank or Hunk is just all throwing us off. Or maybe it's Hank Hill. Yeah. <laughs> Hank Hill maybe it's Hank Hill. But it looks like um, I mean, this list is basically like if you said, hey, Jeff, what do you think Capcom is working on? I'd come up with like 90% of this, right? It's yeah. There's some cool stuff in here, right? A Power Stone remake would be rad. Super big fan of Power Stone on the Dreamcast back in the day. Um, I love Dragon's Dogma 2. That sounds great. Dragon's Dogma, super underrated game. Um uh, I guess I guess it's interesting that you get Street Fighter Six in Q3 of 2022, Super Street Fighter Six in Q4 of 2023, and then Ultra Street Fighter Six in Q4 of 2024. They're, Is that surprising though? I mean, I guess it's Cap- Capcom going to be Capcom, but uh, I think Capcom <laughs> releases something Street Fighter related every single year. <laughs> like they get a new edition every year, or they yeah. get a, like a, a remastered edition of something that they've already put out on another platform. What was the, uh, five wasn't wasn't five supposed to be their transition to game as service for Street Fighter Five? Uh, I don't know. It was, but it also was PS4 exclusive. Remember? Mm. So mm. I'm guessing that for the next Street Fighter hopefully for Street Fighter fans that they've done away with that. Yeah. And that they're no longer going to do platform exclusivity. I mean, and for console, of course. Um, so and I, it's, don't, this is all I don't know. This is so far off that it's like, this I could know. all change so easily oh, yeah. and so fast. But it's cool True. to think that they might be working on all this stuff because these are all games that I would want to play. I'm particularly excited about how they're going to evolve the Monster Hunter mainland or mainline franchise, knowing just how wildly successful Monster Hunter World was and how I, like many players who had kind of stayed away from the Monster Hunter franchise because it was just so intricate and so difficult to learn as an action RPG that, you know, how are you going to marry those people who you brought in with World to people who have been longtime fans of the franchise in its, yeah. you know, regular iterations? So that to me is a, something worth worth keeping an eye on. Yes, yeah. yes. That's the, the other exciting thing about this list is that all of these games are going to be on the new gen consoles. Like it's going to we're going to see what they're able to do with this new hardware. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be great. So many pours. <laughs> so many pores. Ray traced pores. That's what we're looking forward to. Yes. <laughs> no, I want ray tracing and pores to not be a thing. <laughs> oh, but um, that is going to do it for our mainline stories. I do have just a couple of quick announcements. Um, so I pulled this story because we've talked about a couple of auction items over over the years and this one really spoke to me because I had not heard of Super Mario games going for this much so 
A sealed copy of Super Mario Brothers 3 just sold for a world record price of $156,000. On November 20th, Heritage Auctions sold a sealed copy from the 1990s Super Mario Brothers 3 for 156,000 and surpassed the sale of the NES's Super Mario Bros from earlier this year that sold for $114,000 <gasps> US. And I was just like, "Wait, Wait, what? The bidding apparently for this copy of Super Mario Bros. 3 began at $62,000 and 20 bidders fought for the chance wow. to purchase it and in doing so made this the world's first ever million dollar video game auction. While the condition of the game is remarkable, what makes this copy even more singular is the layout of the packaging itself. Exceedingly rare are sealed copies with the word bros formatted to the left, covering one of Mario's signature white gloves, said the press release from Heritage Auctions. Collectors have spent years looking for such a version, the earliest in the Super Mario Bros. 3 production history, and usually come up empty-handed. Oh, my God. <laughs> Gotta have the bros over the hand or else it's garbage! <laughs> No shit. A hundred and fifty-six thousand dollars. Pretty good. Pretty good if you can swing it. Uh, I like how twenty people were able to be involved in that. I feel like I need more people in part of my Patreon if there's going to be (laughs) twenty people that are capable of paying a hundred grand for a video game. Come on. It's it's just (laughs) fascinating. All of these things that we had growing up are just coming around, and they're worth so much money now. Look at the resurgence of Pokemon cards, for example. It's just absolutely bonkers to me. I mean, it's cool, but it's funny yeah. like what things make something so much more valuable. In this case, like you said, Jeff, if there's no bros on the hand, it's garbage. Get rid of it. And when you look no, it's at- interesting that you bring up Pokemon because IGN, who wrote about the auction, also wrote that there was another record for a Pokemon title. Uh, a sealed copy of the red version of 1998's Pokemon for Nintendo Game Boy, which was graded a WADA 9.88++, which is like this um, house that like rates the authenticity of the copies, sold for $84,000 USD, making it the highest price ever paid for a Pokemon title. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> I mean, fuck. If only we could go back and be like, just buy all of the games, keep them sealed, put them in a safe. There's your retirement. Don't worry about putting money into retirement with your employer. Nay, nay. Just what buy games. games. Do you think coming out this year in 2020 could potentially be worth $84,000 20 years from now? I can't see any. Well, it's all about the physical. This is why digital preservation is bad. Oh, yeah. Well, it's all about the. hmm. That's the thing is that there are fewer physical copies of things. So maybe they will be. Maybe these uh, these CD, uh, these um, cyberpunk games that are in the wild right now, they're going to be valuable because they're uh, pre-patch. Uh, physical copies, maybe that's what it, because well, in the digital age, there's no collectability, right? Because it's just right. bits. Huh. Yeah. We yeah, actually maybe. have a question about that. Uh, okay. So we're going to pin this conversation until we get to Dear WGG. Um, but I do want to do um, another couple quick shout outs. Uh, today, Ubisoft announced the launch of the sixth Guardian program, a new series of charity bundles in Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Siege. Starting in year five, season four, the game will feature special charity bundles with new bundles added in to future seasons to support different nonprofit organizations. With this bundle, Rainbow Six Siege players will have the opportunity to access unique in-game items, and, of course, donate to great causes. To kick off the initiative, Ubisoft is partnering with our friends at the Able Gamers Charity, a U.S.-based nonprofit organization that aims to support players with disabilities by providing gamers with the tools that they need to enjoy their playing experience and by promoting inclusion in the video game industry. Beginning at the launch of Year 5 Season 4, Rainbow Six Siege players will be able to purchase a bundle with a uniform, weapon skin, charm, and headgear, 100% of the net proceeds with a minimum of $6 USD per bundle sold will be donated to the Able Gamers charity. Hell yeah. So that's that's some good news. Oh, I love that. Good job. And speaking of good news and, and charity, we here at What's Good Games wanted to let you know that we're thinking about how many people out there have consoles now that they potentially don't need and aren't using and could maybe find a good home. And we were thinking, hmm, who could benefit from these consoles? And of course, we thought of our good friends at Stack Up. 
stackup.org. If you guys have never heard of Stackup, they are a fantastic charity that benefits our military veterans and active duty military, not only here in the United States, but our allied services around the world. They not only send care packages to troops who are in active duty zones, but they work with vets and hospitals, and they also have a PTSD and suicide prevention program by connecting vets through each other and the power of video games. So they do a lot of really great work. So I spoke with Dave Krauss, who you guys have probably seen before at one of our meetups. And I said, hey, Dave, we have some gear that I would like to send your way. So we're partnering with StackUp to send them gear. And they said if people in the What's Good Games community have gear that they would like to also donate to let them know where they can send it. So I'm going to be posting the links where you guys can send your gear. It must be Xbox One and PlayStation 4 generation and Nintendo Switch generation and later anything pre those generations they're not accepting at this time or if you know a military veteran or an active duty member of the armed forces that you think would be a great candidate to receive some of these programs we will send that link as well where you can either submit them or they can submit themselves to be part of the stack up program so they are doing some really great work so if you guys do have some gear if you guys have extra controllers if you have headsets if you have consoles that you are looking for a good home for the holidays uh, we would love to help you and they have a place where you can send it so just wanted to throw that out there that's great you guys of course can learn more about stack up at stack-up.org Oh, I'm so excited to get rid of my consoles from last generation and know where they're going. Yeah. Before I'm like, yeah. what do I do with them? Because they usually just sit around and I don't really want to have to go like drive to the mall and trade it in. But now, easy peasy. No, One of the great things about uh, yeah. the fact that these new consoles have such robust backwards compatibility is that there's no reason to keep those old ones. Yeah, it's great. Mm. Clear that space off. Yeah. And I think what's awesome also about that, Jeff, is that the idea that there's not going to be such a disparity between users on the last generation and the new generation when it comes to games they can play. Yeah. I feel like between the 360 and the 1, or even PS3 and PS4, it felt like there was a pretty big divide between upgrading between those systems, and now it doesn't feel as divisive, which is why you know when people come to us and say, do I need to get a new console? We usually just say, nah, you can wait. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's true. There's really very few reasons to buy the new consoles right this second. Uh, I mean, one of the things I've been saying on my show DLC over and over is if you're excited about Miles Morales, it plays great on PlayStation 4. It plays great. The load times are very low. The game looks incredible. You're not missing much if you're not able to get a PlayStation 5 this holiday. Yeah, I mean, Sony's even said it'll take at least three or so years before they're only making PS5 exclusive games. So you got time. Yeah. You're good. Just chill. Pop open a beer, exactly. a whiskey, a water, <laughs> some, some corn nuts. I don't like corn nuts, actually. Ooh, I love corn really? nuts. Really? Oh, they smell so bad. Oh, but they taste so crunchy and salty and delicious. Oh, man. Now I want corn nuts. Thanks, Brittany. You're welcome. Um, but I do want to get to that question that I pinned uh, just a second ago. So Boomer1792 wrote in to DearWGG. Again, whatsgoodgames.com slash DearWGG and said, okay. So in talking about Assassin's Creed Valhalla, it got me thinking. I honestly do not understand the hype around going all digital. For example, if I want to buy AC Origins right now to jump back into the franchise, I could either buy new for $18 or I could buy digital for $60. And they used GameStop's prices as a reference. Why on earth would I want to go all digital when you cannot get discounts on older games? I've noticed this on other games I had interest in, and digital was never discounted over time. I'd rather buy the more expensive console up front knowing I can buy games at a discounted rate down the road than pay for a cheaper console up front and pay for the full price for games even if I buy them years later. Of course, they're referring to the difference between buying um, like an all-digital version of the console or the disc version. I, and Xbox particularly has a, bigger, a much bigger price uh, disparity between them and they continue I just cannot get past the no discount over time with digital especially as someone who rarely buys games the minute they come out I get the space saving choice but is that enough to cover the price oh interesting I just don't find that to be accurate uh, I, I mean especially if you're on PC I guess on console it's less common to have the discount over time but I, I still find that there are lots of discounts on and especially if you're if you're talking about like Xbox Game Pass or PlayStation uh, Now or PlayStation Plus. I mean, you're, a lot of these games come as part of your your subscription if you're subscribing to those services. So 
I don't. I, I mean, I I sympathize, but especially if you're on PC, I mean, games get discounted on digital all the time on Steam and on Epic Game Store. So I don't know if this. I don't I, know if I buy into the premise. I think that what boomers may be referring to is that in order to get discounts on digital for console, and I'm going to leave PC out of this um, because PC like is just a completely different beast altogether um, because PC doesn't use discs anyway. So um, they're really not part of that physical retail conversation um, is that you have to be cognizant of when the sales are happening on your platform of choice that you're playing on in order to be able to take advantage of those digital discounts. But that with discs, discs almost always with the very rare exception of a couple of games like GTA five, um, go on discount after a set amount of time because they have to move the physical inventory off of the shelves. Whereas digital will only go on sale during very specific times of the year. Like right now. And I think that this is a really interesting thing that maybe some gamers aren't contemplating mm. either because they have the means to buy games when they want and aren't really cognizant or care about the price or because they are just so excited about going all digital, they don't really care about the digital rights management of it all. It's so, interesting. But it's certainly something that bothers people. Yeah, I feel like I see sales more often than not. I mean, granted, it depends on what game you're looking for, right? Like Andrea said, like sometimes the game you want won't go on sale for a very long time, but the games you don't want are always on sale. It's just it's just a matter of timing. And I mean, I agree with Boomer when it comes to games from Nintendo games. I mean, those games never yeah. go on sale, except for right now. They're doing some Black Friday shit. So like now's the time to buy Nintendo games if you haven't bought them already. But um, yeah, that's an interesting point, though. I mean, I guess I hadn't really thought about that because, again, I just buy it when it comes out because I'm not money smart in that sense. I'm like, ooh, shiny new thing. I want it right now. I mean, ultimately, I think the solution to all that, as I said, is Xbox Game Pass PlayStation yeah. Now and those services going forward and how they'll only become, I think, more pervasive and more robust. There'll be more and more games as part. I, I think that's where the industry is going and I'm all for it. I mean, I, I'd rather pay 10 bucks a month for 100 games than one game at $70. And you, know, you get seven months of 100 games for the price of one game, yes. And when Microsoft is doing day and date on first party and all that stuff, I, I just, it's hard for me to argue that buying a, a single disc because you can sell it back to GameStop for pennies makes sense, but that's just me. Mm, yeah, and I mean, if I'm gonna be real, to me, I'd rather pay extra money to get a digital game because that way I can't lose the discs because I am <laughs> notorious at putting one disc in the wrong case because, you know, like, oh, here's this case, but here's this disc in the system. Oh, well, yeah. this case is right here. I'm just going to put it in here. And then it causes a chain reaction. And then before you know it, you got to go <laughs> so through true. 10 fuck. Right? You have to go through 10 cases to try to, like, track that so original true. game that you had been looking for. Oh, and man, the beta of my existence. That you get that moment where you're like, oh, I found it. And then you open the case and it's not that game. And then you're like, ah, I didn't find it. Yeah. No. And then you got to search out the case because maybe it's not a, anywho, like. And we haven't even started great. talking about getting up and walking over to your console to change dude, a game. Dude, Come on. no, never, never, never. No one wants My to ass get up. is on that couch. It is molded. It is not separating. <laughs> It's not happening. Yeah. I think my only real problem, because obviously Brittany and I talk a lot about how we're physical collectors, with discs is the digital rights management with discs. I have brought up this example several times that I still have my disc for Rainbow Six Siege. And I have to have the disc in whenever I want to play. And if I move between consoles, I have to like redo my digital entitlements every time and they've just the platforms have just made owning physical really challenging for gamers and that to yeah. me is the frustrating part is that i like buying physical i like having steelbook cases i like having that collection and having the comfort of if for some reason somebody wants to pt this game and delete it from the store i have it on a disc somewhere yeah they can right? pt your disc if they want to you know, they can make it so you I mean, put your disc in and it doesn't, it's bricked, you know? Yeah, but, but what if I like, I mean, but there's still the idea that some games 
in the vast majority of games before this generation, you could unplug your console from the internet and still be able to play all those games. And that, yeah. that opportunity is gone now, right? Mm. Like that whole era is essentially disappeared even for di digital or excuse me, non-digital games. Like if you have the card or the disc or whatever, you still <laughs> have to usually authenticate it with the internet, even if you don't need an active internet connection to play though, more increasingly games require internet to play a game, even if you own the disc of it. And yeah. I... I think I think part of me deep down has like a like I I don't like that but I also know that there's nothing I can do about it and I have to just kind of like <laughs> give into it and it, it makes me upset that I have to give in but it's kind of like well it's just the future that we're going to well, And also you know using your example if if you want to pop in Rainbow Six Siege chances are the reason you're popping it in is because of the internet like you you want the internet features that that game has so yes. yeah I don't know I, I, I I've true I've gotten over the the having stuff. I mean, as you see my camera, I, I maybe can't see, but there's stuff around me. It's not that I don't have stuff, but I'm trying to have less stuff, you know? Man, Fewer things. I feel you. So I don't know if I, I think I may have been talking about this on the show, but I'm currently in the process of moving everything from one of my rooms in the house to another room trying to clear out an entire room. So of course the room I'm trying to clear out is the room of my 25 plus years of gaming accumulation, uh, games, swag, collector's editions, et cetera, et cetera. And so I bought a whole bunch of new shelves and I filled it with all of my games ranging from PS1 to NES. And I had it all nice and pretty. And then I was kind of getting into the back corners of this room. And then I found two boxes full of games and I had a little mini breakdown. I'm like, why? <laughs> Like, why did I buy all of these? Because now I have no more room on the shelf. What the hell am I supposed to do? Why do I have so many fucking physical games? And yeah. now, like, I get it. Like, the, it was different back in the day. But now that we're all going digital, it's like, I didn't need all of these. And every time I find a new box of games, I kind of cry on the inside and on the outside. Because, like, and I want to donate them, but they're all older gen. And so, like, Sackup doesn't want them. So maybe I'll think about trying out some, like, youth groups or something and see. Or, like, youth services. I don't know. I'll see who wants. Where do I get? How do I get rid of these? Who wants? I mean, some some older kids. As as Danny is saying in the chat, bring back Win Brit's shit. Oh yeah, I might have there to actually. That we used fun. to have that as a tier on our Patreon when we first launched. We had uh, like a mystery box of swag. That's fine. Um, as a tier in our Patreon, where we would just like box up stuff because we get sent as you guys do get sent promotional items for games mm. pretty consistently and we just don't have the space for them when we want them to find good homes and yeah. bring somebody joy. Yeah. yeah. So we gave them away. Yeah. I always have this little head, uh, voice in my head that says, hey, that stupid piece of crap that they sent you is going to be like that Super Mario cartridge. It's going to be worth thousands of dollars <laughs> someday. And it, it never will be. It never is. I know. No. My husband's getting very impatient with me. He's like, just <laughs> throw it away. I'm like, but you never know. You never know. Yeah. So yesterday he broke and bought me a huge bin from Lowe's and he's like, put everything in here and I'm putting it away. I was like, okay, <clears throat> okay, sure. Yes, well, sir. But then you're just gonna have to deal with it later. Well, if I shove it in the back corner of the garage, Andrea, I'll forget about it in a week. And then it's out of sight, out of mind. That's how my brain works. It's not great. All right, it's your house. You do what you want. Now, I want to talk to Jeff. Yes. About... The Dungeon Run. So you have been hosting The Dungeon Run on Caffeine.tv for over a year now, hasn't yeah. it been? Yeah. Uh, How uh, many episodes are you two. guys on? We just did episode 73, I think, last week. So yeah, we we uh, I, we had to break for a little while when I had my eye surgery and stuff. But um, yeah, it's it, in March, it'll be two years. So we're, you know, we're trucking along. It's something I'm really proud of. I'm the Dungeon Master of the show, which means I'm inventing the story and playing all the NPCs and coming up with crazy voices. And we had to transition the show away from our amazing studio and all of the cool physical models that we were using to realize the the, the fantasy world uh, when COVID happened and we, we made the show a virtual show. But the production team has done an amazing job. They came up with this proprietary software that creates, they do it in VR. It's actually puppeteered in VR, but they have a virtual table, virtual models and minis, virtual sets. And um, I mean, we're all physical human beings, but when we go into a fight, it goes down on a virtual table and we have, it's incredible what they've managed to pull off. So yeah, the show is still trucking along. I'm very, very proud of the story we're telling. 
The players are extremely invested and super great about bringing out this this long tale of their character's backstory. Oh yeah, there's some shots of it. Um, me drinking wine. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, As you should. Thank you. Um, it's I'm so proud of the story we're telling. Uh, we did an amazing thing just a few weeks ago where one of the characters was tempted by the dark side, uh, the evil mage that has been tormenting our, our players. And oh, there's Lord Araban, our animatronic puppet. Uh, that hosts the show. Um, so good. <laughs> talks to the to the audience while we're playing. Um, but uh, she was tempted by the dark side and actually went through a dark portal with this mage and left the party. And so we split the show into two halves. Uh, there's the virtual map room. You can see some of that with the uh, players fighting on a, a bridge there against a, a demon. Um, and so we split the show into two halves and she did a solo half and then I did the other four players as they were searching for her for the other half. And we've done some amazing stuff. And I, I'm the, the show makes me cry. It makes me laugh. It is uh, it's something I'm extremely proud of. I think it it is not just for Dungeons and Dragons fans. It's something that anybody that likes, you know, Game of Thrones or any fantasy storytelling would would dig. So is this something people can watch video of as well? I mean, obviously I'm seeing yeah. the video. Okay, and is it we like usually weekly or what? Yeah, we I do really uh, shows okay. every Wednesday night. We stream live Wednesday nights on Caffeine at caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon Run. Uh, 6 huh. p.m. Pacific time. But it's all on YouTube. All of the episodes, if you search for The Dungeon Run on YouTube, uh, you can find our our show. We also put out an audio podcast, which is great. It's a, it's a long show, but... You can listen to it as an audio podcast, and it kind of works like an audiobook because I'm doing all these crazy voices uh, for all the characters, and our players are doing voices, and it, it really comes to life as an audio show as well. So you can find that wherever you get podcasts by searching for The Dungeon Run. How cool. Yeah. It's great. It's, I think it's I'm really awesome. proud of it. Yeah. Just when I think that, you know, there there isn't enough space for as many D&D shows that are out there another one comes along and you guys have done such an amazing job with the production of this show. And I remember when you first started this show, I was like, Jeff is going to crush this. It's going to be great. But I was really nervous that you guys were going to have trouble finding an audience on caffeine because so many people aren't familiar with caffeine.tv yeah. as a platform and how they you know, don't have VOD like some of the other uh, live stream platforms do. And I'm so happy and excited for you guys that you're just like crushing it and you've got this great cast of characters and Thanks. I think for as many years as I've known you I didn't know that you were like this giant D&D nerd <laughs> yeah uh -huh. yeah that, I, it's true I am I um giant D&D nerd and I love it and we we have found this incredible audience it really the community that is built up around the show is unlike anything I've ever experienced and I've been doing stuff like you know internet stuff for a long time this community has created their own weekly uh, talk back and review show that just huh. generated by the community. They do it once a week on Tuesday nights before our show. They produce and create. It's basically like the talking dead, but for our show and it's completely generated by the fans. Uh, they bring on other fans and interview people. They rate the show. They, they guess about what might happen next They've done, uh, I mean, the the amount of stuff that the community has done is incredible. And part of the idea behind the Dungeon Run was to involve the audience as much as possible. There are ways to actually influence the story. And there are huge moments that have happened in the show because the audience decided that would be what happens. It's It's very much a sixth player that the audience represents. And they changed the story. They've made characters that were gonna die live and made characters that were live die and, and all kinds of things in between. It's been uh, an amazing thing to see how this community has galvanized around the dungeon run. So, for, I mean, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, the fact that you guys have your own fan show is, is <laughs> super cool. Um, I, I, I'm just I can't believe from it. A from a production standpoint, are you guys thinking about what you're going to do in, in 2021 and if you're eventually gonna go back to your studio because we see a lot of television and Hollywood film production yeah. adapting to the COVID protocols. Is that something that you guys are contemplating or are you kind of going to roll with your, you know, VR uh, Zoom life? Well, 
I'm very proud of how the show evolved and became uh, the remote version. I, I think the remote version is really great. Um, I very much miss being in the same room with the players and the the physical models that we had. And, you know, it, the the short version is we don't know uh, because so many things are up in the air at this point. And, uh, you know, California just got new lockdowns. We have curfew now. It's so they're not doing, you know, a lot of these productions have been shut down. We're, we're worse off COVID wise in California now than we were in March and April. So who knows what 2021 will bring? Hopefully these vaccines change the world back, you know, get us back to on track. Um, but it's, we're just going to have to wait and see at this point. Oh, there's a shots of our, uh, when we were in the studio. Yeah. How uh, cool is that? Right. How fun. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. We, I mean, it was a, it's a Hollywood production, right? We had the team, basically the team that used to do, um, attack of the show on, on G4 are produced and shot. And we had this, we, I mean, we had a crane arm that would swing around. You can see this crane shot right here. Um, we had animatronic puppets. I mean, it was really high quality. Uh, it still is. It, it, we just, you know, high quality in a different way. So I'm, I'm anxious to get back to the studio. If it's safe, uh, we're not going to, I mean, there are other productions that like have put up plexiglass and tried to do stuff like that. We're, we're not going to do that because I think we've found a way to do the show well remotely. But if the world, you know, gets back to being a safe place to be, I think everybody really wants to be in the same room and talk to each other in a, you know, in, the, in a proximity. Yeah, I think we all are in agreement that we miss we miss meetups. We would have had our own What's Good Games uh, next chapter in our D&D &D, um, adventures with our Dungeon Master Lucigen at PAX West uh, yeah. this summer. But we obviously, because <laughs> PAX there West There was no PAX West. Yeah. Haven't gotten to do it. And yeah. I know that there's a lot of online ways to play D&D &D these days, but... As you mentioned, there's just something special and magical about being in the same room, particularly 100%. for tabletop, right? That's what yeah. tabletop is all about. Yeah. But I think that what you guys are doing is, is incredible. And so congrats again for everybody Thanks. who is interested in learning more about The Dungeon Run. As Jeff said, caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon Run, or you, of course, can find it on the Caffeine YouTube channel. But Jeff, um, where else can people find you and follow you? Because that's not the only thing you're working on. If we had oh, no. another hour, we could probably <laughs> talk about all the other projects that you're yeah, still do, working on. I do a lot of things. Um, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. I do a video game podcast that both of these lovely ladies have been on uh, as guests, and we have a new guest every single week. Um, you can find that. It's called DLC. You can find that at 5x5.tv slash DLC. And I do lots of other things. I, 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 <laughs> I, do, I won't do the litany of all the things that I do, but uh, you can follow me on Twitter and, and hear all about them. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Um, any any final thoughts before we uh, sign off and say goodbye? I mean, there are too many games. Today, I was saying this before we started recording, uh, today is the new WoW expansion. I just don't know how I have time <laughs> for, like, I'm still waist deep in Valhalla and... I'm excited about Phoenix Rising and Cyberpunk is right around the corner. It's just like, <laughs> it's too much. It's too much. Yeah. But, but you know, abundance of riches. Yeah. I'm not, it's it, all these great things, first world problems, but man. It, it's <sighs> a lot though. It's a lot. We all feel you. We feel yeah. you. We get it. Yeah. As you guys have on your show on DLC, the, the little too many games yeah. jingle. Too many games. Yeah. That's what we, uh, we say every week. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's a great time to be a gamer what a time to be alive and Indeed. love video games yes that's true all right everybody that is going to do it for what's good games live for today thank you everybody for joining us and don't forget to check out the links in the show notes to follow jeff and check out those charity initiatives we will be back later on this week but just as a reminder there will be no thursday stream because it's thanksgiving here in the Yay. united states and i'm going to be eating some turkey and watching football and hopefully sleeping. you know what i found andrea <laughs> while cleaning out my room i found oh, our great. turkey cutouts oh, our, our hand, turkey oh. our hand turkeys <laughs> i kept them because i fucking keep everything but this was from 2017 i think wasn't it no 2018 oh man 2017 Aww. who knows 2017 yeah because alexa did them with us yeah i even have alexas <laughs> and i was like oh man i'll have to break those out for the big oh, day arts and crafts we used to do so many arts and crafts when we could see each other sad mm. i guess we could do one virtually yeah well no because then i'd have to pick up my own mess 
things. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I was always the one cleaning up the crafts mess. <laughs> and on that note, we're actually going to say goodbye okay. now. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Jeff. Bye. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. It's a turkey. <laughs> <laughs>